God's word is holy. God's word is the primal authority, the primary authority by which we are to live by. And because uh, we seek to honor God's word, let's stand as we read together from Micah 5. Micah 5, we'll start reading in verse 10 through 15. This is God's holy and infallible word. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asherim from among you and destroy your cities, and I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, help us, we pray, to understand this, your word, We pray that as we read of this passage of great judgment that we would see your hand of pruning, of cutting away even from your own people those things that offend so that we would bear much fruit. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, When I was in seminary, I had a professor in a class, and the class was called Reformed Pastor. It was taught by Pastor uh, Bill Shishko, one of my absolute favorite classes in all of seminary. And one thing he said to the class was that it's helpful to have a ministry of encouragement. And what he meant by that, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't, I don't min- remember the exact words, but it's important to encourage people to do the right thing. And there are ways to do that. There are ways to encourage people from the Word of God there are ways to encourage people to follow the path they ought to follow. And, um, of course, the gospel, um, in Greek it's the euangelion, which means the good news. What could be more encouraging than the good news of the gospel? It's not just good news. It's the greatest news that's ever been told. But as we look at today's text, verses 10 through 15, you might ask yourself, Is there any gospel or any encouragement that we can find in this particular text? It's it's all about great judgment, God cutting off wickedness. As we uh, examine today's text more in depth, I I do believe that we will find a key passage from John's um, gospel that will help us to see how this can apply to us, even in an encouraging way. Before we do that, let's uh, look at some of the context. Let's go back to Micah 1, Micah chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 3 again. The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth. 
and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. Now, when reading this language, you might say, well, this applies to God just judging the entire earth. This is the final judgment. Now, you have to be careful when you read Old Testament prophecy because you can't just make an assumption by reading a few verses. You have to read the rest and read other parts that tell us who is he talking to here. Verse 1, again, is the driving force in interpreting this prophecy. This is the prophecy he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he's bringing judgment upon the northern and the southern kingdoms, the kingdoms that were divided ever since the days of Solomon. And he was bringing great judgment uh, that would be like, in chapter 4, talks about agony like a woman in childbearing. And I, I believe that's talking about that coming besiege, uh, that the besiegement where they were going to be surrounded by their enemies and they were going to be starved out and they were going to go through a great and terrible judgment. And it even tells us in Micah 4.10 where they were going to go. They were going to go into captivity in Babylon. The hope of the gospel is given in Micah 5. Look there at Micah 5. It says in verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And it says his going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. So it's speaking there of the Messiah. The Messiah who is to be born of a woman would be born in Bethlehem. He was to be a ruler that came forth from all eternity. An eternal ruler. That's speaking of the one, the Messiah, who would not just be man, but God-man who came from all eternity. And uh, he, he gives this mention of the Messiah. He says that of this Messiah... He says later on, this one will be our peace in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. This one, this Messiah, will be our peace. He will be the Prince of Peace, the one who gives us peace and reconciliation between God and man because he is going to suffer and die for our sins so that we might have peace with God. Mike is foretelling this great plan of salvation many, many years before it even came to pass. But this beautiful promise of the Prince of Peace is then followed by another round of mention of judgment. Verses uh, 10 through 15 mention great judgment that will happen and that God will cut off wickedness in many ways. And we'll see first that God is going to 
siege his people. The first main point is God sieging his people. And secondly, God is going to prune his people. Let's look at this first main point, the siege of God's people, verses uh, 10 and 11. It will be in that day, declares the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will also cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. Um, This is the part where it might be a little bit confusing because we're wondering, well, when is this happening? Uh, When did this happen? Was this the siege under uh, the Assyrians or was this the siege under Babylon or is this talking about the siege under Rome? Um, It does talk about them having all of their fortifications being torn down. Um, It could be that in, in the perspective of things that there's a a shifting in the timeline. We don't know what particular siege he's mentioning here. But you might ask yourself, why does God do this? Why would God take his covenant people who are called by his name and surround them by armies to starve them out, to kill them by arrow and sword and spear and javelin, catapult by fire, with a great judgment. And you might say, it's because he loved them. Well, is that love for God to siege his people and to cause them great woe? I would say yes. In a covenantal way, speaking of what God was doing in his plan of salvation. In Hebrews twelve six. It says, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And God sieging his people and causing them all of this great trial and woe was God bringing his people a great discipline to help them grow in holiness. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a discipline of a loving father. But if you don't discipline your kids and you let them live any way that they want and continue on in wickedness until they fall off a cliff, that's not love either. But I want to see that, I want us to see together that this love of discipline involves God cutting away from his covenant people wickedness from them individually and personally and as a nation that involves God pruning his people. Let's look at God, how God prunes his people. Look at verses 12 through 14. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you will have fortune tellers no more. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you, so that you will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your asherim. What's an asherim? That's a wooden carving of a female deity, a false god, an idol, little g. He will root out your asherim from among you and destroy your cities. So why was God destroying the fortifications? Why was he sieging them? Why was he doing all this? To root out idol worship in the land. 
Now, after a great deal of woe, a great deal of trial, a great deal of suffering in a foreign land as captives, when they finally return to the promised land, you know, in the New Testament, we don't find a whole lot of, of the Jews bowing down and worshiping idols of carved images. We don't find the Jews, as they did prior, worshiping on high places as they did during the days of uh, almost all the kings throughout the history until they were sieged. We don't find people in Jerusalem going to the soothsayers and the sorcerers and the fortune tellers as they did during the days of the judges and all of those things. In a way, you could say that God did accomplish and rid the promised land of all these idols, of all the, the, the carved images, the sacred pillars, the high places. So yes, God did accomplish all that among his people. But the problem that then followed was that you had men who claimed to be holy, Pharisees, that had a man-made religion of of self-imposed tradition to the point where, yes, they, they were vehemently opposed to all idols, but then they had other idols. Uh, remember, Jesus rebuked them. They had prayers in the marketplace. Who were they wanting to be seen by? Men. So who were their prayers for? Were they for God or for man? It was for themselves. They had become an idol. Woe to them, Jesus said. What was the other thing? They fasted and they disfigured their face and they didn't wash their face. They didn't shave or whatever. They, they, they just looked, they looked raggedy and unkept so that people would look at them and say, look at that holy guy. Isn't he fasting for the Lord? Well, who were they really fasting for? For themselves. So yes, they got rid of the idols made with hands, but if they looked in the mirror, there was the idol. God, though, here in today's text, was pruning his people. And I do want us to look at a key passage in John's gospel. We'll keep our place in Micah. But I want us to turn to John 15. If you want to know about why God gives you hardships and difficulties and trials in your life and that he is working and cutting away from you those things which offend. Let's look at John 15, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I am in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Far apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, 
he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Key here, verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. This is a commentary of what God was doing with his people, Israel. They were his people, they were his true branches, but they had some deadness. They had some idol worship. They were looking unto sorcerers and soothsayers and fortune tellers. And they had high places set up. And all these things God hated. So what did he do? He cut them off. So that they would then bear fruit. Fitting for those who are called according to his purpose. Now here's the key. God will do that for you. This is not just a pruning at a time long, long ago. But this is what God does even in your lives as well. Ask God. Say, God, is there something in my life that is, that is offending? And this is a scary prayer. Will God prune me? Cut away those things that offend in my life so that I would bear much more fruit for your kingdom and for you and God will answer that prayer. It might be painful, but God will help you bear more fruit. And that's the encouraging part of today's text. When you undergo trial and trouble, and a lot of times you might say, well, is this God's hand in my life that he's pruning me for my benefit? Well, very well maybe. But remember, he's doing it for your good because those whom he loves, he chastens. Those whom he loves that are his true branches, he will prune, he will cut away that dead wood so that you will then bear more fruit. We'll get back to Micah. Look at Micah 5, 15. God here, I believe in 5.15, is talking about those who are not his and those who refuse him. They're not in the covenant and they disobey him. Micah 5.15 And I will execute vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. So those who disobey the gospel, God will execute vengeance, anger, and wrath against them. The best place to see that in the New Testament is found in 2 Thessalonians 1. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10. God says here, actually we'll... Um, Let's read starting in verse 6. 
For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for a testimony to you was believed. God is going to execute judgment, great wrath onto those who disobey the gospel. But if you obey the gospel, one of the most beautiful things, one of the most beautiful words is people would say, oh, this is a big complex theological term. It's actually used in places such as 1 John 4, 9 and 10, the word propitiation. God made his son a propitiation, a turning away of wrath. So it says here in Micah uh, 5.15, vengeance, anger, and wrath. All those things have been inflicted upon Jesus so that you might be saved. If you have faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has executed vengeance, his anger, and his wrath upon Jesus on the cross so that he was that one who took the wrath of the Father so that you will not have to suffer that eternal wrath for all eternity. More so, Jesus even obeyed the law for your sake so that you would be counted as righteous in his sight. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our great high priest, who is the one who is that final sacrifice and the one who has turned away your wrath. And we, fought, we thank you, Father, that you inflicted him, that we would not have to be afflicted on that great day. And we ask that for that, that great revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he will bring eternal destruction upon all those who do not obey the gospel, we pray that you would help us to remain rooted in a saving, sincere faith in the Lord Jesus, that you would preserve us until that great day, and that we would not be those that suffer, but that we would be those who witness with great joy the revealing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray. Keep us and protect us, and give us that eternal security. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. At this time, let's uh, close with our, our final hymn, 389, Great God, What Do I See in Here? Let's stand and sing 389.